welcome to Two Boomer Women. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I've been talking with Boomer women for almost a decade now. (laughs) Well, I guess I've been talking to Boomer women all my adult life. Uh, Reinventing myself several times along the way, though, but always focused on us, Boomer women. With this incarnation of Two Boomer Women, I'll be interviewing other women who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at twoboomerwomen.com. If you want to be a guest on Two Boomer Women, bring it on. There's an application form at the website, too. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it and we must perpetuate the art form. So, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Two Boomer Women Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. When I was a kid, I went off to camp every summer. I don't remember a lot about those weeks, except there was a trampoline. I got quite good at the basics. Bum drops, knee drops, swivel hips. It was so far removed from my life at home. Fast forward 30 years, I was married with kids, and I'll be honest, I was as excited as my kids when the neighbors got a trampoline. I waited patiently for my opportunity to show off my skills. Finally, I got on and jumped. I landed. I jumped. When I landed the second time, I immediately got off and raced home. Bladder leak. I was stunned. I was far too young to think about those issues. Fast forward another 10 years, and I was working in elder care where more women had bladder issues than didn't. Adult diapers, a fact of life for most of them. In case you're wondering why I made that confession on podcast, it's my segue introducing my guest today. Sarah is a practicing urogynecologist. She teaches women about how their bladder works, where it can go wrong, and how to make it better. I love this part. She empowers women to manage their leakage and win back their confidence. Dr. Sarah Boyles, welcome to the Two Boomer Women podcast. Thank you so much. What a lovely introduction. And I'm so excited that you um, confessed your personal embarrassing story, right? Because I think most of us have such a story, but we don't frequently talk about it. And so that, you know, leaves this issue of of bladder leaking in the closet. And so lots of people feel very isolated by it. And I think talking and sharing these stories is just so very, very important. So kudos to you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to ask you to start by maybe explaining what a urogynecologist is. Yeah, so A urogynecologist is a physician who specializes in women's health. So I only see female patients. Um, Your training can be either via gynecology or urology. And then we do a little bit of extra training. And we really focus on everything that can go wrong in the pelvis that you never wanted to think about and never wanted to talk about, right? So issues with bladder leaking, um, issues with stool leaking, issues with pelvic organ prolapse which is really just a hernia of the vagina or of the reproductive organs, um, or, you know, even vaginal issues and vaginal pain. Hmm. Okay. So today we're going to probably primarily talk about bladder leakage. How common is it? Uh, it's, it is very common. So when you first started telling your story, I actually thought you were going to say that you leaked as a child because about five to 10% of women will leak even as a child before having children. And, you know, being on a trampoline is such um, an intense amount of pressure um, that it, it makes 
many, many, I would say more women than not leak. Um, so in younger women, we see it a lot in athletes, right? Especially women who do sports like gymnastics or dance or cheerleading or volleyball, pole vaulting, all of those kind of high pressure sports. It becomes more common after childbirth and more common as we age, just because those factors can affect the support of the bladder in the urethra. Um, we think that more than 50% of women who are older than 50 have some degree of leaking. Um, you know, only about a third of those women actually talk to a provider about it. And that's because, you know, we, we tend to think that it's normal and it's something that you just have to put up with. But there's also a lot of shame. People just don't want to talk about it. Um, and even though we talk about exercises for the pelvic floor, only about a third of women do those exercises. And for about 40% of women, leaking is a huge problem for them. Wow, those numbers, I'm, I'm surprised. <laughs> they're, they're pretty staggering. And I'll tell you that, you know, when you look at the research studies, it really depends on how you ask the question. So if you say, you know, do you have any leaking at any point in time? The numbers are much higher, right? But if you look at... Um, you know, women that are leaking and bothered by it, the number is lower, but it's still a large percentage of the population. Hmm. Now, is leakage a muscular thing or are there other health issues that can lead to weakened bladder control? So there are lots of health conditions that can lead to it, right? I would tell you that Oh, gosh. I mean, the, the list is quite long. So anything that affects your nerves can impact bladder function. Uh, different muscular conditions can definitely do it. Uh, inflammation around the nerves. So women who have back pain are more likely to have bladder issues. Different medications can have a big impact on the bladder and how well it stores things. Diabetes can affect the bladder pretty significantly. Weight gain can definitely do it. So with weight gain, you are more likely to leak. And, you know, the opposite is true, too. With weight loss, you are less likely to leak. Um, so it's, it's very multifactorial. But, yes, uh, there are so many health conditions that can definitely impact the, the bladder. After childbirth, um, you know, there is both muscle and nerve damage or frequently muscle and nerve damage. And those are the things that really impact bladder function and leaking at that point. Hmm. I'm going to go back to something you opened with, uh, which really surprised me, athletes, because you sort of think of them as having such great, you know, muscle tone, everything else. Yeah, yeah. No, athletes are a huge portion of the population, right? So in women, there are two big types of leaking. So there's stress incontinence, which is leaking with coughing, sneezing, exercise, where a force kind of pushes the urine out. And then there's urgency incontinence or overactive bladder, which is that got to go feeling, not being able to get there on time, frequency. You can also have mixed, which is both, which I know doesn't seem fair, but you can definitely have both. But that stress incontinence part, I mean, we see that all the time in runners and golfers and women who play a lot of tennis, they have a lot of leaking. And then, you know, this is one of the reasons that this work is so important to me. 
because it really steals your quality of life, right? All of those things that we need to do to age gracefully, like staying fit and active. I mean, if those things make you leak, you're less likely to do them. And that can have just profound life and health impacts on you. Everybody knows I come with some notes. And I, I think that one <laughs> issue situation has just blown so many of these things out of the out of the park. Because I always just thought it was like pelvic floor, you know, you do your Kegels, which you know, you never do after the kids come along. Um, but obviously, it's way more than that. Yeah, I mean, that's true. So I, I would tell you, there are so many things that can impact it. The first thing that we usually do is tell you to work on your pelvic floor strengthening, right, either independently or sometimes with a pelvic floor physical therapist. But sometimes that's not enough. And there are lots of other strategies that we, you know, can incorporate. One of the things that can happen with the bladder is, you know, we all have these habits that we've had for years and years and years that that work, right? But sometimes over time, your body's had enough and those things that you've always been able to do, you can't do anymore, right? And and so sometimes part of my job is kind of unwinding some of those habits, right? And talking to people about bladder irritants, how much they're drinking, when they're drinking, all of those types of things can also really help. Now, now part of being healthy and, you know, fit and all the rest of it is all that, you know, drinking water. How, how does that affect? Uh, yeah. So we live in a culture of over drinking, right? I mean, everyone is walking around with their big hydro flask and drinking and drinking and drinking. And we think that's better. And, you know, I, I would tell you that most people drink too much water or more than your system needs, right? You really only need to drink when you're thirsty. And so, you know, one of the things that I will frequently do is I will have someone journal what they're drinking in a day, right? Just kind of writing down when they're drinking and when they're having the problem. And just like with weight loss, you don't realize what you're doing until you write it down, right? And frequently what happens is that exercise will tell that patient everything they needed to know, right? Where they realize, oh, wow, it really was that second cup of coffee. And if I, you know, cut out these few things, I'm, I'm totally fine, and they don't, you know, we always go through it, but they don't even need me to go through it. They just need to write it down and kind of look at what they're doing, right? Because those habits you don't pay attention to, they've accumulated over years. Um, so you need to take a second and write it down. But yes, I would say most people drink way too much. That's interesting because so often I've heard anyways that if you're thirsty, you should have been drinking before you got thirsty. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of conflicting um, advice out there, Yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, there, there definitely is. And, you know, especially when women are dieting, you're never going to get them to cut back on their fluid intake, right? On that water intake, because it helps so much. But, you know, for most people, you really only need to drink six to eight, eight ounce glasses a day. And it, it does depend on what you're eating, right? Because some foods have a lot more um, water in them, right? And so if you're eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, you even need less than that, right? But it, I mean, it does depend on what you're, what you're consuming, what other things you're consuming and how active you are. Wow, that's great. So it, it's funny how so often things could boil down to a fairly simple thing of, as you say, recording it. Now, if we want to be proactive, so we've got listeners out there that aren't suffering any sort of, I shouldn't say any 
aren't experiencing any sort of bladder leakage, what else can we do to be proactive? So, you know, it, it, I think in medicine and in health, right, it frequently does come down to the basics, right? And so I would tell you maintaining a ideal weight, right, or close to ideal weight um, definitely protects your pelvic floor and your bladder. Strengthening, right? So core strengthening is um, also a huge factor. So, you know, we have people do Kegel exercises. Kegels definitely help, but, you know, it, your pelvic floor is part of your core. So strengthening the whole core will work as well. And then, you know, diet, avoiding bladder irritants, right? So too much coffee, alcohol. Um, there are a lot of different foods that can irritate the bladder, like um, citrus can do it, tomato-based foods can do it, spicy foods can do it. So, you know, kind of being aware of your triggers. But, you know, if you're in a, hey, this this part of my body is working and I want to keep it working, I would say, you know, maintaining an ideal weight, maintaining a good diet, and then core strengthening are, you know, the fundamentals. Hmm, that's interesting because I also lead a, a group of senior women in exercises. And by senior, I mean 80s and 90s. And I think almost every time we get together, it's okay, ladies, tighten up that pelvic flora. You know, I want to see everybody sitting up two inches taller, but it sounds like it needs to be the whole the whole core, as you say. But, you know, I think that's great, right? Because, you know, when you get to a certain age, you need to use it or lose it, right? And and so continuing to exercise is just so very important. Hmm. Now, you touched on this briefly. My story on leakage was after three kids. How common is that, like, after you've had a few kids? Uh, to have stress incontinence on a trampoline? Like oh, no, no. I just meant um, to have... You mentioned that, you know, giving birth really does put stress on muscles and nerves and things like that. But how is it more common, I guess, amongst women who have had children than women who have not? Yes, it is definitely more common in women who have had children. It's definitely more common in women who have had vaginal deliveries. Mm -hmm. It's more common in women who have had difficult deliveries, right? So for women who have had maybe a forceps delivery or a big tear, all of these things become a lot more common. It's more common with certain medical conditions, right? So different nerve conditions like multiple sclerosis, um, diabetes, all of those things could make it more common too. Um, there are certain connective tissue types, right? I mean, we all have different connective tissue and um, some collagen is just weaker than others. And those women are more likely to have stress incontinence as well. So yeah, it, it's really common. But I would say, you know, you're a brave woman because most women just stay off the trampoline. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. <laughs> or was bliss. <laughs> Okay, uh, before I move on, I've got a few more questions, but you mentioned a little while ago about a pelvic floor physical therapist. Yes, I did. So that's a specialty I've never heard of before. What does that person do? Yeah, so there, so one of the things that happens is that your pelvic floor muscles, so a lot of the, the muscles and the sphincters in your body work by reflexes, right? And they're, it's very coordinated. You don't even have to think about it. And sometimes after a delivery or, it, you know, after a surgery, things can get a little bit uncoordinated and you have to retrain 
those muscles to work. So pelvic floor physical therapists are physical therapists. They're almost always female and they help you work on those muscles for two reasons, usually strengthening, right? Because strengthening is what most people need. And it's a lot of direct physical um, pelvic floor. It's also core work. It's breathing work to make sure that um, the breathing helps the reflexes work at the same time because these reflexes are coordinated with your breath. They will also work with women if the muscles are too tight. So some people have muscles that are so tight and they can get pain. They can get different symptoms. Sometimes they feel like they're having urinary tract infections, but the cultures are negative and it's just because these muscles are so overactive. And in those people, the muscles need to lengthen and relax. And so they will also work on relaxation depending on what you need. Hmm, well, <laughs> I yeah. love my physiotherapist. I wouldn't let him near me. <laughs> well, and, and he, I mean, this is a very yeah. specialized type of physical therapy, <laughs> right? I would tell you that many physical therapists would have the same response, right? They wouldn't be interested in it. Yeah. But but one of the things that we talk about a, a lot or an, an interesting conversation piece is that in France, actually, all women are sent to a public floor physical therapist after they deliver just to optimize function of the pelvic floor and minimize some of these problems and increase education. So in the, in the U S I'm not sure about Canada, but in the U S there are lots of physical therapists, but you have to request to go most of the time. It's not automatic. Oh yeah. And I would think it's a, a, a pelvic floor physical therapist is also very specialized. Very specialized. Yeah. 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 So that's interesting about France, because over here, I think any sort of leaking is a source of great embarrassment. Do women seek you out as soon as that happens or like as soon as they start having issues or do they tend to sort of wait and hope yeah. it'll go away? I think there's a lot of denial there. Um, so on average, women wait about seven years with their leakage before they actually talk to anybody about it. Right. And, and I think that's because it usually starts, um, you know, kind of mildly and then increases over time. Um, so it becomes more of a bother over time. But it, I think it takes people that long to really decide that they're going to talk about it. That's really too bad, because wouldn't it be easier if, if you saw them early on? I think it would be easier for that particular woman right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. The, the treatment doesn't necessarily change, right? I mean, we spend a lot of time kind of figuring out what you're at and what you want to do and, and, you know, starting with conservative treatments and then, you know, working into things that are more aggressive if we, you know, can't fix it with the conservative treatments. But I think, you know, it, it's kind of an insidious thing, right? Where you're leaking and then that makes people feel not so attractive. They worry about smelling. It can impact intimate relationships. You can cut out some of the activities that you love because you're worried about leaking and you're trying to minimize it. You know, some women with a lot of frequency will stop going out with friends, right? Because they don't want to get up and go to the bathroom multiple times during a movie or a dinner. Um, so it can be really isolating for women. And so, you know, that part of it, I think, is um, just horrible for people. Now, you mentioned, and I'm just going to ask this really quickly, you mentioned, like, it really inhibits their sex life, perhaps. Yeah. It, can a woman actually have leakage during sex? Yeah. Yeah. 
And I will tell you that in my experience, that's pretty much when people come in, right? I mean, many women will come in before that, but yes, when you start leaking during sex, I mean, that, that is a time where almost everyone comes in and says, okay, we, this, this is a deal breaker and I need this to stop. Yeah. Yeah. Understandably. So you've talked about treatments. Um, I'm going to get into that, but is there an actual cure? Like, can somebody come to you and then, I don't know, a year up the road, not experience leakage anymore? Yeah, absolutely. So when we work with women on muscle strengthening, right, particularly with physical therapy, you know, that improves about 60% and cures many women. Um, and, and that is sometimes all that needs to be done, right? So, um, you know, for stress incontinence, I would say that, you know, physical therapy does in about 60% of women. There are vaginal inserts that you can use called pessaries that put pressure up on the urethra and stop leaking. You know, those work in an additional kind of 50% of women. Um, and then we get to kind of procedures and, and surgeries. Surgeries are very effective, but, you know, if we can do it without a surgery, then, you know, that's that's even better, right? Just because that's easier. Um, but I would tell you surgeries are about an 85% cure for stress incontinence. And then, you know, for overactive bladder and urgency incontinence, it's the same thing where physical therapy and behavioral modifications improve things for about 60% of women. And then we move on to medications. The medications work in about half of women. And then there are different procedures that you can do so with overactive bladder, your bladder is getting too much stimuli, too much nerve stimuli. And so we just need to counteract that in some way. And so if we get to a point where we're doing procedures, there are different nerve stimulations that you can do. Sometimes I even put Botox in the bladder, which will calm down that overactive muscle. And both of those things are very effective. So there are a lot of things that can be done. Okay, so if we have a listener that's sitting at home and saying, okay, that's all in well and good, but I don't really want to go in and admit that I've got leakage, what can I do at home? Are there things that people can start to do at home? And Yeah, so I mean, the first thing I would tell you is you, you could start with doing your Kegels, right? And doing those exercises. And when we have women do Kegel exercises, you have to make sure that you can squeeze those muscles, right? And they are hard for some women to engage, so you have to make sure you can squeeze them. And usually what we tell you to do is contract the muscle for three seconds, relax it for three seconds, and then repeat that 10 times and do three sets of those in a day. And then over time, you want to lengthen the contraction and relaxation until it's 10 and 10. The hard thing with doing Kegel exercises is that, you know, it's really a new exercise routine. And so you have to be pretty diligent about doing them, right? So usually I tell people it's going to take at least three months before you notice a difference. And so you need to figure out some way to, to stay in it, right? When you're kind of, I mean, let's say at eight weeks, you haven't noticed an improvement, you're being so good about it, you're starting to get frustrated, right? You, you have to figure out a way to encourage yourself and keep yourself on task and remind yourself to do it. I mean, that's kind of the, the hard part in doing it on your own. There are different devices that you can use to help encourage you, right? So you can, there are weights that you could use that works for some people. There are also devices called peri trainers and a peri trainer has a vaginal insert and it'll tell you how well you're contracting. And the nice thing about that is then you can get little graphs over time that show you how much you're improving, right? And I, I think that 
you know, we all need to know that what you're doing is kind of working and strength usually improves before symptoms get better. Um, and, and so it's, it's nice to see that, you know, your activity is, is getting you somewhere. The, the nice thing about a pelvic floor physical therapist is that, you know, they're a really good cheerleader for you. Right. And, and, and that's what we all need sometimes. So, but if you want to do it on your own, I would say start doing your Kegels. Right. I have a, a blog that I put out where I talk about different tips and things that you can do. And it has a lot of good resources on it too, if you're looking for more information. Okay. And I don't want to make light, and please don't think I am making light of the exercises. But, you know, if a woman's still working and she's got like a half an hour commute into the office and a half hour, like driving herself there and back, is that something she could conceivably do as she's driving? I mean, just sort of think, well, I'm stuck in the car here. I might as well just tighten up the Kegels. And Yeah. So, I mean, absolutely, right? Nobody knows that you're doing them. You know, if you're having trouble doing them, they're the easiest to do if you're lying flat right? And then sitting and standing. If you feel like you're doing them correctly, then yeah, you can absolutely do them in the car. If you get to a maintenance phase, right? Let's say you do the exercise and it's working for you. I, I'll frequently tell people to do them at red lights, right? Because I think you just need something to remind you. And if you just did them at every red light, you, you would do enough in a day and it would be fine. So no, that's absolutely fine. And I think that's part of, you know, figuring out your reminder system, like what's going to What's going to keep you in it over over a long period of time? Okay, I've already admitted to trampoline leakage. I'm also going to admit to you that as, as you're talking now about Kegels, it's like I'm automatically tightening up. Everyone does it. I'm sure everyone in the audience is doing it, right? That's, that's my goal. I'm going to talk about it just to make everybody do them. Do whatever works. That's great. Yeah. Now, this is just a curiosity question. Do men experience bladder leakage? They do. Um, It's different than women, right? Because our anatomy and the mechanics of it all is just a little bit different. Um, They stress incontinence, so that leaking with exercise is actually pretty rare in men. And a lot of times male leaking is um, more about the prostate acting up. Okay. Yeah. Just in case there's a woman out there who's partner or male partner is sort of going like, oh my God, you know, or something like that. It's yeah. it's not strictly women that experience it. It's that. not strictly women. And, you know, pelvic floor physical therapists will treat men too. I mean, men have a pelvic floor as well. So I recently had a patient who was seeing a, pel- a pelvic floor physical therapist and her husband was seeing the same person and it was working great for both of them. Oh, perfect. You know, which was, yeah. yeah. Which was interesting. Yeah, you can't give anybody a hard time if you're going through it too. Together. Yeah. yeah. Okay, if I'm getting in way too deep, please let me know. What exactly is a pelvic organ prolapse and is that related? So that's a great question. So a pelvic organ prolapse is <laughs> a pelvic organ prolapse is basically a hernia of the vagina, right? And so it means that something is herniating or coming through the vagina. And, and what women will frequently notice when they have that is they feel a bulge, right? They feel tissue there that, that shouldn't be there. And there are different things that can come down, right? So the uterus can come down. The vaginal wall with the bladder behind it can come down. The rectum, right? So the vaginal wall with the rectum behind it can also come down. And if you've had a hysterectomy, then the top of the vagina can come down. So the most common thing that comes down is actually that vaginal wall with the bladder behind it. And and what that will do 
is it actually makes it a little bit harder for you to empty your bladder because it just kind of kinks things off. Um, so those women have trouble emptying sometimes, and sometimes they'll get more urgency because your bladder is working so hard to empty that it gets irritable. It doesn't like to work that hard. As you're explaining a lot of this, I'm thinking that perhaps one of the first things that women need to do is maybe go and understand the full, like what everything looks like, where it is. Um, I'm not thinking of the word, um, but just look at the the body and see yeah. where the, the bladder is, where the... Oh, I, I agree with you, right? Because we don't know our own anatomy. Anatomy, right? thank you. <laughs> oh, we don't know our own anatomy, right? We're not comfortable using the words, even if we know those words, right? I mean, I would tell you that when I have patients come in that have a prolapse, the way they describe the anatomy, I mean, everyone uses very, very different terms, right? And sometimes half my job is kind of translating to make sure that we're talking about the same thing, right? So we don't understand the anatomy. And that's not because, you know, women aren't smart. It's just because we don't, we don't talk about this. We're not taught this part of the body, right? We know about the uterus and that's about it. So, so yes, absolutely. Knowing the anatomy, knowing the words, being comfortable to use the words. I mean, I think that's another thing that really keeps women out of the doctor's office is they're afraid that they're not going to be able to communicate what is going on to them, on with them, right? And people frequently come in and say, you know, I, I have something down there. I'm like, okay, I can figure that out. <laughs> Dr. Sherlock. Yeah, it's funny, too, because I'm just thinking, like, how old are children when they're told just to go in there and close the door, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. instead of explaining, you know, where the pee comes from and the right. system. And, and let's look at a, a picture of the anatomy. Thank you. Now that you've given me the word, uh, the yeah. anatomy of the body. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I would tell you that when I'm, you know, talking to my patients, that is usually one of the first things that we start with, right? I mean, here's the bladder, here's the vagina, here's the rectum, here are these three holes, this is how this all works together. Um, be, because we're just, we don't talk about those things. Yeah. Okay, our audience is, our, is boomer women. What do you want them to know? That, about you know, well, just about everything. You know, maybe they do experience bladder bladder leakage. Maybe they don't. I think we've touched on some of it. Like, just get in and talk about it. Uh, so that is a big thing for me, right? I would say normalize it, and and I would say that if you have leakage and you bring it up, right, in a group setting, more women than not will say, "Yeah, I have that too," right. And I think, you know, one of the things that happens when we talk about these things is that then we share what has worked for us, right? Oh, I have leakage and this is what I do. I have tried this new pair of incontinence underwear and that works really well, um, you know, for me. Mm -hmm. Incontinence, you know, how big of a problem it is, is, you know, the individual really gets to define that, right? And so, you know, in my work, sometimes the best information that I can give someone is, hey, I really think you should try this type of pad because this is better for skin sensitivity, right? Or you need to be using this cream on your tissue because, you know, leaking can be very irritating to those very sensitive tissues, um, you know, so that is what some people want, just, hey, what's the best product for me? 
or where should I start? What should I try? Um, and then other people, you know, want it to be cured and want it to go away, right? So, I mean, there's just a huge gamut of what people want. But I think talking about it and, and normalizing it and recognizing that you're not the only person that has this um, is, is really the first step, right? And, and that is really what I want. I just want people to talk about it a little bit more. Right. So, yeah. so, so if a woman's 65... Yeah. Um, and, you know, experiencing a little bit, but she maybe wears pads or an incontinence product. Will she get worse over time or is there any chance that it would just sort of stay at the level it's at? So, I mean, it depends a little bit on, you know, your other health factors, kind of what caused it, what you're doing. If it's stress incontinence, so, you know, leaking with exercise and you maintain a normal weight and do some exercises, I would say it's probably going to stay the same. Good. Right. That that urgency component can get worse over time. It does tend to get worse as you age. And so then it depends on, you know, that's much more multifactorial and looking at your other um, health conditions, what medications you're on and, and that type of thing. Okay. When I was looking at your profile uh, on Podmatch, you yeah. had a comment, five most common questions that I'm asked as a urogynecologist. <laughs> have I missed have I missed any of them? <laughs> have you missed any of them? I, I think, you know, probably the most common one I get asked is why? Why would you do this? Oh, um, why would you be a oh okay. Yeah. Why? Uh, why? Well, <laughs> um be because women come to me and trust me with things that they really don't want to talk about with anyone. And I get to help them make it better. Right. And, and what better job could there be? Right. I mean, that is super rewarding for me. Right. And there's, there's nothing that I like better. You know, sometimes I'll do Botox for someone who is going to Hawaii and, you know, going whale watching and can't get off the boat for, you know, four hours and it works wonderfully. Right. I mean, sometimes I help someone, you know, get the right pads and then their skin is much less irritated. Right. And and then they're much more comfortable. Um, all of those things are just super rewarding for me. Okay. I keep on going sideways because you, you keep on saying things that just trigger another question. I have that effect on people. I'm kind <laughs> of a sideways person. That's great. Um, I'm going to give us you a sideways one before we close. Botox. Now, I mean, I can, I can see why it does what it does. Yeah. Uh, how long does it last? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's a great question, right? So, you know, Botox is the most popular cosmetic procedure in the world, right? It's performed so much. And so we think a lot about Botox as a cosmetic procedure, but it actually has a lot of therapeutic indications. So anywhere there's muscle tightness or muscle overactivity. So it's, it's used from everything from... Um, excess sweating to migraines to bladder issues. So when we inject it, I usually do it in the office, which I know sounds horrible, but you know, it, it isn't that bad. People come back. Um, so injected in the office, it usually lasts about six months. So it'll last six months to a year, just depending on how quickly you break it down. In a couple of patients, I've had it last longer than a year, but I would say six months is the, is the average. And so then we just repeat it. I like it best when it lasts a year because I think doing it once a year just seems 
more reasonable and easy, but usually we end up doing it twice a year. Now, I'm merely showing off my lack of knowledge here. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in Botox that the body might not like? So Botox is a neurotoxin, right? Okay. Um, and, you know, we figured out how to use it. When we use it in the bladder, there, there really are not systemic side effects, right? So one of the big problems with treating overactive bladder and medication is those medications get into your whole system, right? And they cause all kinds of side effects, dry eyes, dry mouth, constipation, sometimes increased blood pressure, depending on the medication. And so that's the nice thing about Botox is it really stays in the bladder. As women get older, it is a treatment that I really like because it's not getting into the rest of your system. And, you know, there are, you're more likely to have side effects with medications as you get older. So I, I like that. Sometimes it works so well that it's hard to empty, right? And so that is a big thing that we have to talk about. And some women get a lot of urinary tract infections after we do Botox. And so that's another thing to be really careful about. Okay, you have a self-diagnosis quiz. What's that? Well, so we treat stress incontinence and we treat overactive bladder differently, Right. And so I think a lot of times, you know, women will start Googling and looking for treatments and you have to be a little bit more specific. Right. You have to know what your diagnosis is in order to figure out what treatments will work for you. Right. So figuring out that correct diagnosis is really step one. And so it's just to help women do that. Can we go back to one thing? Because I was just thinking. So one of your questions for me was, you know, if I'm at home and I don't want to go out and talk to anyone about this, what might I do? And I would tell you, you know, there are many things about the pandemic that I don't like, but one of the things that I do like is there are a lot more online programs, right? And there are a lot of online um, public floor physical therapists that have programs, um, you know, different athletic trainers. Um, And so you could do an online program with somebody and do the exercises. Um, There are some that are even apps that you can do. And and that way you don't really have to engage with anybody if you don't want to, right? But you're getting instruction. You know, they usually incorporate other exercises too. So you feel like you're working on other things as well. And and that can be really useful for women. Okay. And so I'm going to throw that back at you. What's Bladder 101? I've done my research. Oh, you have, haven't you? Yes. So um, I put together a course. Uh, I think the first time I did it, I've done it twice, was a year ago. And it was really to help women with these issues. So the first module, so there's three modules in it. And the first one is really talking about anatomy, how things work, just kind of those basics, right? Because Mm -hmm. most of us don't know that. Then, you know, having you focus on what you're willing to do and and recognizing your limitations and and then using those things to identify what treatments will work the best, right? And then talking about the treatments. As much as I like physical therapy, there are a lot of reasons why women don't, right? There might not be one close to you. It might be too expensive. You might not be comfortable with that idea, Right. And so I think it's important to really think about those things and address them before you pick a therapy or a treatment, because if you're trying to do it, but you really hate it, it's just not going to work. And so let's move on to the next thing then. 
as you were explaining that part of me is thinking, which would be worse, having a physical therapist or having leakage? Right. Well, and I think that that's an okay thing to think and feel, right? So I I say that to people all the time. I say, you know, I'm going to talk to you about all of these treatments. And in the end, you may say, well, my leakage is much better than any of that. And I would prefer to just have my leaking. And that's okay, right? Because knowledge is power. And then that may be how you feel today, but then you have an idea of the treatments and you can change your mind in six months or a year or, you know, never. And then you can tell your good friend, right, about all the treatments and then, you know, you can help spread the word. There you go. Okay. Did we finish up Bladder 101 or did I cut you off? No, that's, it's really to help women figure out what is out there and help them um, find a treatment that works for them. Okay. And I'm going to go back even further now. The the five most common questions. Uh, mm-hmm. You told us why. Is there anything else that people ask you that I haven't that we should look at? I I think the only thing that I would tell you or the, the additional thing that I would tell you is that, you know, leaking is a small thing, but it is heavily correlated to depression and feelings of low self-worth. And so it, it becomes really important to treat it, right? And, and it's so interesting to me when I treat it, because that's one of the reasons why people are so grateful, right? Because all of that, I, I mean, there are obviously many other reasons for depression and feeling low self-worth, but, you know, all of that kind of reverses, um, you know, when the leaking gets better. Right. And so I think that that is just an important thing to to think about. Right. It's hard to feel like a vital, active, attractive person, no matter what age you are, if you're having a big issue with leaking. It's also interesting how like nothing's single faceted, is it? (laughs) No, no. And I, I think that, you know, these kind of feelings, I mean, some women recognize that it's happening to them. But other people don't, and they just know they're not really feeling great about a lot of things, right? Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's interesting. It can impact a lot of, of places in your life. If, if someone comes to you who is suffering depression because of their leakage, mm-hmm. do they usually, do, do they recuperate from their depression as well, or do they need some sort of a psychotherapist as well? Well, I think most of us probably need a psychotherapist, right? I mean, I think that that's a whole nother uh, podcast whole nother episode, story, right? <laughs> but I, I, a lot of times it will, it will get better, right? Um, a lot of times it will get better. So, but I'm, I'm very quick to bring in, you know, additional counseling and and such too. Especially if we're, um, you know, like, let's say that person wanted to do public floor physical therapy, which is a completely reasonable option, but is um, not a quick treatment, right? I mean, that treatment will take months. And so then I think it's important to kind of address everything. Okay. What's the difference between Bladder 101 and your masterclass? Oh, so the masterclass that I did focused on different treatments that you can do, different things that you can buy to strengthen your pelvic floor. So like many things, 
Um, you know, there are, there are a lot of devices that you can get for, for pelvic floor strengthening. Um, and some of them are really heavily marketed, right? And so I created this masterclass because I wanted to kind of educate women on which ones work better, um, which ones, you know, what, what you should consider before you just buy something, especially if it looks super snazzy online. Okay. Now I looked at your blog page. Mm -hmm. I will admit I did not take the time to really go through very many, um, but there was some things there that I went, oh. I don't know what that is or, oh, I've never heard of that. Do you yeah. cover some of that off in your blog then? If somebody's curious, they could really go and don't take this the wrong way. They can go down the rabbit hole on your blog page because you seem to have so much and such varied information there. Yeah, there's a lot there. So you can search for it, you know, if you know your diagnosis or if you're looking for a specific treatment, you can search for it there and it'll pull up the relevant blog posts. Um, sometimes people will send me direct messages and ask me to kind of help sort through the information. There is a lot of information there. Um, and that was one of the reasons that I created the course, right, to help you kind of help walk you through it. Yeah, I, I don't know. Do you have any ideas on better ways to kind of organize it? I think everybody gets information in different ways, right? And it, it's just trying to figure out the way to help the most people. Well, yeah. And I think quite honestly, for me going just to find out more, sorry, my dog has now come to visit. For me to sort of find out more about you, I quite appreciated the fact that it was like, holy crikey, like, where do I start? Yeah. Um, and then if you've got the search uh, bar, then they can just, yeah, search. Yeah. If they're going for a purpose, for a reason to find out information, they can just search. Yeah, no, I think it's just fine. Yeah. But, uh, good. So it's a work in progress. Oh, aren't all of our websites? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Speaking of website, where do we find you on the World Wide Web? Yeah. So it is at www.thewomensbladderdoctor.com. Okay. And I think you're on social media too, are you? I am on social media. Yeah. And it is also the Women's Bladder Doctor. Um, and I do a lot of Instagram. I do some Pinterest um, and I do Facebook as well. I don't dance, though. Maybe one day, but not yet. Well, so wait and see what happens with TikTok before you start dancing. Yeah, I just can't make myself do it. I don't know why. No, I'm so, with you there. Yeah. Don't we don't know. want bladder leakage because we're dancing. Um, no, but that might, you know, be exactly what the world needs, right, in terms of getting the word out on this. So. Well, interestingly, two nights ago, I have this thing I do online on my little tablet uh, in the evening just before bed and all these ads. I don't know if, no, because I'm on my laptop with you, but on my tablet, all these ads were coming up for bladder leakage. Only the pictures were like, seriously, it doesn't, doesn't quite look right. And I'm thinking, oh, what did those poor girls do to be in that ad? Because, uh, oh, dear. Yeah. Anyways, okay. I think that's probably my fault somehow. <laughs> <laughs> they were just listening as I'm reading. Yeah. Okay. Before we close, may I ask you a personal question? Sure. Stick shift, old car or new? Um. So right now, I do not have a stick shift. I oh, just got man. rid of my stick shift, and I was very sorry to see it go. I bet. What did you have? I had a little mini. 
Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I have a, an old fun car and I love stick shift. I just love it. So in your bio, it had something there. You're about Paige. And yeah. I, okay, before we close, I'm just going to take her sideways and talk to stick shift. For yeah, no, I actually, so but my 16 year old has her license and she does not know how to drive a stick shift. Oh, wow. And so that is one of my goals for the next year. She must learn. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I had sort of a classic car, uh, an older car when my son was learning he really wanted to learn and I'd take him out and it was just like, Oh my God, he was so paranoid that finally his buddy had already learned stick shift. So I threw him the keys and said, you know, like you can't hurt this car. It's like a tank. Yeah. Uh, just take him out and teach him stick shift. So I think it's, yes, yeah, a skill everybody should know. I think it's a skill everyone should learn. Right. There we go. And it's fun. It is fun. Okay. Thank you. Anything before we close? No, thank you so much. This was so much fun. Yeah, great. Okay, listeners, as always, Sarah's links will be in the show notes. If you have comments on today's show, please talk to us. And as I say that, I'm thinking that, you know, if you're embarrassed about talking to us, send us a PM. Um, Both of us have contact pages. If you're listening at twoboomerwomen.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, leave comments there. We can be found at Google, Apple, Spotify, most places a person would listen to podcasts. Feel free to leave comments there, and please leave stars and reviews. They help us grow. Before you go, hit the subscribe or follow button, and you'll be notified about future interviews with more of my great guests, whether they drive stick shift or not. <laughs> share this episode with oh, share this episode with every woman you know. Most of us don't want to let on we have leakage issues, so you never know who will be relieved to find out it's not unusual um, and that there are things they can do about it. If you want to be a guest on podcast or know someone who would be a great guest, there's an application form at the website. And if you want to hear wisdom on a specific subject, message me at twoboomerwomen.com. Dr. Sarah Boyles, thank you so much for being my guest on Two Boomer Women today, for sharing your knowledge and perhaps more especially assuring us we're not alone and can get help. Thank you so much. That is, it's just been so much fun. And I would encourage anyone who has a question to reach out. I'm, you can't embarrass me. I've heard it all. <laughs> I bet you have. Have a great rest of week. Thank you. Thank you.